Today, I'd like to challenge your ideas around the concept and experience of awkwardness. I propose to you that rather than seeing this as something that you want to try to avoid and get so cool that you never have to experience it, that awkwardness is actually an integral bridge between all of the most fantastic experiences and growth opportunities that you can have in this lifetime. I present to you the ancient and regal art of awkwardness. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. From my childhood, I have two excruciatingly powerful memories of particularly awkward uh, experiences. The first one was when I was about seven or eight years old. My mother dropped me off at the local shopping center. She was going into the supermarket and I had to go and get a book from the library. And she gave me this instruction, which was not very clear to me. She said, go inside and ask them for your card. And that's all she said, and she was in a rush. So she said, go inside and ask them for your card. And I was like, oh, what? And, she, and then she just parked the car and ran off. I, I don't exactly, it just sounds like she dumped me by the side of the road. It wasn't, I don't think it was that bad. But anyway, I walked into the library and I walked up to the front counter and there was this staunch middle-aged Australian woman. And I just went up and I said, can I have my card? And she said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I just stood there and like a couple of people in the line looked at me, this little kid, and I went, can I have my card? She said, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're talking about. And then just this horrible old lady. And I have her so, like I can't remember half the faces of people that I've had sex with. And probably many of them can't remember my face, but I remember her fucking face. And then I just burst into tears and ran out and went up to the, back to my mum in the supermarket and said, I said that I did where's my card? And then she just did to me. And it was, uh, it was a deeply cringing uh, scenario that I, to this day, it's like, beautifully clear memory. The other one that I remember clearly was when I was about 11 years old. I'd, I'd started playing the flute a couple of years earlier and I had to go and give my first public uh, performance, which was for all, which was for the flute school, right? So all the flute students were meeting and all the parents were coming to watch them, you know, play like the, the, the kind of thing that only a parent would do, go and watch 12 11 year olds play the flute. And Great. And, I, and of the group of kids, I was the one who had started the latest, and so I was the worst. And there was a girl in the class, Phoebe Porter, shout out to Phoebe Porter, wherever you are now, who was much better than me and whom I was in love with in, in an 11-year-old kind of way. And so, you know, I was really nervous about playing, playing this performance, and I remember before the performance, I ran around the ran around the fucking block a number of times just saying, saying to myself, good or bad, it doesn't matter, good or bad, it doesn't matter, which is kind of like a cool thing for a young kid to be doing. I was giving myself positive affirmations and I was just like, it doesn't matter, I just, just go and try and uh, I was so nervous. And so the afternoon arrives, I get up on stage and I've played this piece over and over and over again. I know how to play it, I can do it. But because I was so nervous, my body started to shake. Now, if you're playing the guitar and your body starts to shake, it's probably okay. But if you're playing the flute, it meant that my lip started trembling, my, my jaw was shaking, my throat was vibrating, and so it came out like Like it was, in my mind, 
it was the great, the worst performance of all time. And in my mind, I see the see the audience like cringing for me, like, oh no. And I think there was. And I seem I have this memory of Phoebe, although maybe she wasn't even there. I'm just implanted that of Phoebe, just going, oh, <laughs> like it was it was a disaster. I could barely get through the piece, and I think I even stopped before because I, I my mouth was so dry and I just couldn't do it. And eventually, I just kind of ran off stage, ran out of the room. It wasn't a stage. And then again burst into tears and ran out of the building itself and hid out the front until my mother came out and found me and drove me away in great shame. So these are two cringe experiences from my childhood that, that, uh, that still to this day have left deep, deep scars. <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to analyse what is awkwardness? And I want, to, I want to, you to guys to start to understand it not just as an ex- because that's an experience, these discrete experiences we have in a life where awkwardness wins, right? Where the thing that we were most terrified of happening actually happens. Because in this scenario, okay, the thing that I was most worried about is I would fuck up the performance in front of Phoebe. And I did, you know, that I would walk into the shop and that the girl would be just, the woman would be just like, what the fuck are you doing here, little kid? And that, like, it reaches the zenith of the awkwardness. Because so often awkwardness is about anticipation of the worst possible thing happening. And sometimes in life it does happen, right? So all of us have experiences like this where we can think back and go, yep, that was that time when I shat my pants in front of everybody. Remember? Remember at Julie's party and I just shat my pants and then someone pulled my pants down at the same time and then I sprayed diarrhea in their face? That sure was about as bad as it could get. Let's just get across the road while we have that thought. You know, or you get caught masturbating by your entire family. You know that one? You know, you're just jerking off at the, at, there's an open casket of your, of your uncle Jerry and everyone leaves for a minute and then you're jerking off over his dead corpse and then everyone bursts in at the same time and you're like, oh boy, here I was caught jerking off over the dead corpse of my uncle. That sure does suck. So everyone's had that kind of experience, you know, right? You've had experiences where the worst things happened. However, that is the exception because awkwardness is not just those moments, right? Because I think a lot of people see, I'm trying to avoid moments like that in my life. That's, that's why awkwardness is a thing that's present. It's a, it's, a, it's a low level fear that I'm aware of. And I want to be avoiding situations where I'm totally caught with my pants down or totally caught where people go, wow, this guy is a fuck up pervert loser. For the most part, awkwardness is something much more subtle and far more present, ever present than you may think. It's actually a glue or, or a bridge between almost every social exchange that you have. Some of the only times you don't feel awkward is when you're totally by yourself, that where it's not a danger, where you're out in nature. I mean, have you ever like been walking along and then seen a squirrel and felt a bit awkward because the squirrel saw you when you were, like, didn't have your game face on? No, you don't care what the squirrel thinks, right? You don't care what the trees think. You care what humans think. So awkwardness is always in relation to other people. And what is it in relation to? It's in relation to expectations expectations about social contracts, expectations about levels of status, expectations about where you should be and what you should be doing at any given time. They're they're around unwritten social rules, or in some cases, very, very strict and stringent rules. There are some cultures where the idea of saving face is a national pastime. Asian cultures, Scandinavian cultures, places where appearing to be in command, elegant, moral, you know, cool, knowing what you're doing, feeling capable, these are, these are lifted to a national obsession. And so much so that it's built into the way people have uh, business negotiations. In some cultures, you can't come out straight and, and say, you know, that price is too high. 
because that would insinuate that the person has been lying to you or has elevated the price. Whereas uh, in other places you can go, come on, that's, that's, that's too fucking high, let's, let's lower the price. Or nah, bullshit, I'm not gonna pay that. And, and people won't take massive offense. So there are massive differences in the way that societies at large and individuals perceive needing to save face. Awkwardness, so much of the time is about protecting your pride and protecting the image that you have of other people having of you, right? So what I mean by that is the main, the main well, let's, let's use the example of approaching, approaching girls. All the single men that I'm working with want to talk to dozens of girls they see every day. They walk past all sorts of attractive women and they, and they have the desire, a deep desire, not, not just like a, eh, I kind of feel like an ice cream, like a existential desire, like I, I need to fucking get a girlfriend, I want to talk to that girl over there, I want to have this experience, and yet most of the time they don't. Not because they're busy, but because they are worried about the consequences. Now, knowing full well that the consequences are not going to be violence, they're not going to be legal ramifications, they're not going to damage your body or, or anything else, you're not going to lose money over this. So the reason primarily that men don't go and do what they want to do in these areas is because they wish to protect the image that a stranger may have. This lady here, what is the image that she has of me right now? Right now, because I was pointing at her, she's like some weirdo, don't like him. They're trying to protect the image of strangers walking by and, and thinking essentially this. Stranger walks by and goes, there's an upstanding gentleman. That's like, that's, people would rather have that or there's an average man. <laughs> there's a nondescript average man doing as he should, you know, walking in a straight line with his arms swinging in opposite, opposite opposition to his legs. And he just is doing the thing that a human does when they walk down the street. And he's doing that fairly correctly. And therefore my judgment of him is, fine average human and for the most part people police themselves by thinking that everyone else around them is thinking that right he's, he's looking at everyone else and going oh is he doing that right is he doing it right now there is absolutely truth in this right this is not just a delusional fantasy human beings are policing each other all the time and we do that in all sorts of subtle ways even if we like if you look at the way crowds assemble we create distances between ourselves if you're waiting in line for something depending on how the culture does things, people will automatically space between each other due to unwritten rules about physical spacing. When I go to China, I always find it very amusing because the concept of physical space is about six inches closer than it is, say, in Western Europe. So if you're in a crowd, people will just be stuffed in. Like, you'll have a grandma just here, just waiting in line. You're just like, uh, are you, are, you want to blow me? Or are you just, it's just, no, that's just the space. Grandmas get that close to you, and that's just how it is. People, you know, in Serbia, when you when you're talking to the waiter, he'll come over and he'll lean on your shoulder and say, "Well, the risotto is no good," and they'll tell you that their own risotto is no good, and and they'll lean on you while they're doing it. It's a different concept of the written rules about space and physical physical touch and so on. So we are always policing ourselves and others all the time. And when you walk through the streets of London, it's I find it hilarious because you. If I walk and bump into somebody, like I did the bumping, they'll say, oh, awfully sorry. And it's a great fun game. Try it in, in, in England. You just walk through a crowd and just put your elbows out a little bit and just bump into people down the street and watch them just go, oh, awfully, oh, it's much more rather. Didn't mean to over. And it's like, fucking, this is cool. You can just make British people apologize to you all day. I had to do that uh, on a plane recently. This woman was apologizing to every single person as she was trying to get her, her stuff down. We just arrived in Melbourne and then these Aussies just fucking flunking along and grabbing. She said, oh, sorry, oh, awfully, could you mind? I, I, was, I just was trying, I was, I just said, listen, lady, in Australia, don't say sorry unless you punch someone in the head or shot their dingo. 
she's like, oh, so I'm like, don't do it here. No, you don't need to apologize. We're not in England anymore, my dear. Oh. Anyway, what was I talking about? So the, the experience of awkwardness is something that we actually must navigate all the time. And really what it is, it's the pressure that builds momentarily, usually momentarily, and sometimes over longer periods, based around certain social contracts. Okay, so if I walk into the coffee shop and the person says, uh, what can I get for you? And I just kind of stare at them weirdly and like blink my eyes. Instantly, I create awkwardness because the, ex the expectation of the pressure that is built by her question, what can I do for you, which creates a little vacuum, creates a micro moment where awkwardness can appear. And then I dissolve that usually by saying, I'll have a cappuccino latte frappuccino, thank you very much. And then it's released because now the, the, that little piece of contract has been done. And now she goes on to making the coffee and I go on to staring at my screen so I don't have to deal with, you know, looking at other human beings, which would be awkward, right? Would be awfully awkward. And so we've actually gone into play. There's, there's been a, a scenario, a scene that's been set, and both of us have stepped in to play out certain roles, which inherently have a certain level of pressure and release. And so obviously, I talk a lot about this concept and, and the application of emotional pressure and, and emotional release as part of my five principles of natural seduction. Anyhow, as I was saying, inherently, there must be pressure built in interactions. The, the only time you have zero pressure is when really only in situations where you're hanging out with someone that you know incredibly well, you have no expectations of each other. Right now, probably you're both zoning out, right? So you're not actually paying attention to each other. So if you and your buddy are sitting on a couch and you're both looking at your own phones, okay, there is, there is not really in any inherent pressure in here. However, if you and that friend then go to a restaurant and sit opposite each other, and let's say suddenly there's no Wi-Fi in the place, there will be an inherent pressure. Even with your very best friend, you'll actually have to think for a minute and go, oh, look, we should talk about something. Uh, so how's that, how's, how's therapy going? And then you're gonna have to actually enter into the, the awkwardness zone. Unfortunately, me, most people I would say, spend their lives, like when you first go out into the world, as I did as that little kid, right? So I came out and I just, I don't know the social rules. I don't know how to navigate. I don't know what it means when I go and say, can I have my card, right? So everything that I'm stepping into is awkward because I just don't, I have no command of the social rules. But as a child, I'm let off the hook, except by that nasty cunt of a woman. I'm let off the hook. Kids can, kids can get away with, well, firstly, when you're a child, at first you don't give a shit at all, right? Because you don't know that there's any social rules. And then at some point, someone shames you for something. They're like, you shouldn't take a shit in the middle of the room, kid. And the kid's like, why not? Because it's dirty and you're a dirty boy if you do that. And then you feel a bit of shame. And now, now there's a rule. Now there's something you should and shouldn't do, right? And so, of course, the levels to which we are shamed for our behaviors massively uh, are, are hugely different depending on the way that we're conditioned and whether our parents like shamed us for masturbating or not. And actually, my mother didn't. I used to do this thing where I'd kind of do this proto-jerking off in the living room where I'd sort of just hump, hump the things, hump the pillow or whatever. And, uh, and I called it funnying myself. And my mother said very well, she's just like, funnying yourself is a good thing to do in your own bedroom. And so I did mostly. And then I have also have these memories of me like humping things when guests were over. And, and she just didn't, no one said anything. Like, thank you. Thanks, Auntie, <laughs> Auntie Pat and my mother for just allowing this whatever three, four, five-year-old kid to just hump stuff in the lounge room without shaming him. Thank you. That meant that I developed a healthy relationship with, with masturbation. Whereas I've heard horror stories from students where, you know, I had one student where a grandmother caught him jerking off 
and said that he was going to hell and that if he ever touched his penis ever again he was going to hell and so that was that's a great start to your to your sexual life isn't it thinking that if i touch my penis i will burn for eternity fuck you grandmother jesus christ in any case to one degree or another once we become self-conscious self-aware uh, that we are a separate discrete human to other discrete humans and we start seeing that there are the, all these rules at play and that we fuck them up right then we start developing these levels of shame or, or tension and awkwardness around am i doing things right and so much of the the problem with awkwardness is that we're what, what like what are you really worried about right let's say you walk into an event and you don't really know where to stand and you realize you don't know anybody someone invited you and that person didn't turn up so you walk in and suddenly you're alone in a room with other people and all these people seem to know each other and, and you can imagine that like now and let's just put let's say you've got a bow tie on and it's the wrong color you know you'd walked in everyone's wearing a black bow tie and you've got like a comedy black bow tie because somebody told you it was you know kind of dress wacky and, and you just fucked it up all right what is the thing that you're really concerned about here and i think the thing you're most concerned about is other people's perception that you are not up to scratch right that you that you that the the degree to which you are intelligent or socially competent or rich or able in some way has been compromised that the truth is out that actually oh and everyone looks and goes oh he's not nearly as smart as we thought he was or because the reality is before you were kind of invisible but now it's like i came out of the invisibility of being the average man in the corner and i'm like ta da oh I'm not as good as, uh, 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 I can't really play this tune, right? And th- which is a thing, of course, it's a thing that you are not nearly as good as, the, as how you present yourself. When I stand here like this, someone could look at me and think, wow, that guy could be really good at almost anything. But the truth is, I'm not, I, I'm bad at skiing. I'm bad at mathematics, yeah? I'm bad at keeping my room tidy. If you've watched my Instagram stories, you'll know, right? There's all sorts of things that I am not up to scratch, I'm not perfect at, in comparison to all sorts of other people I fucking suck at. But the difference with me and many, many other people is I care way less. Not, I don't care at all, because I do. Because otherwise I would just shit my pants right now if I felt like doing a dump and just, you know, just walk around fucking doing wacky dance moves and doing those, doing those fingers all day. Because I like doing that, but I know I shouldn't. Right? Like, true social freedom, I think, steps over into into madness right because you see that if you see someone who is truly socially free as in someone who is covered in their own feces someone who is howling at the moon in the middle of the street that is a true social freedom to one degree that's that's somebody who is not bound by almost any rules not even bound by laws right yet that person has has stepped over into the point where they're no longer interfacing with any other human being that's not an effective way to be i like social freedom exercises and we teach them on our workshops I think they're a really good way to step so far out of your comfort zone that it almost enters into the absurd. All right, so when it's into the absurd, you can kind of get away with more than just the subtle things. You know what I mean? Like it's, in a way, it's easier to go up to somebody and pretend you're from a foreign country and say, excuse me, do no way to, to sexual health doctors for itchy dicks. That's, uh, that's a way easier, it's pretty funny to do. I mean, that's one of old Sasha's drills we used to do. It's way easier to do that than it is to just do slight glitches, right? To just, just to like miss the handshake a little bit and, and just double, like cut in on the person, right? Things where the person just perceives you as a little bit off because that says to them, this guy doesn't really get it. Okay, this guy doesn't, is not cool. Doesn't know the social contracts. And you see that if, if you hear someone coming to a shop and 
order something incorrectly. Like they say, they say, can I have a uh, like walk into a coffee shop and they and they say to a hipster with a whole bunch of other hipsters, you say, oh, can I have a uh, a sugar-free espresso? And that like oh the cringe. Imagine saying to a hipster, can I have a sugar-free espresso? And they're like, uh, espresso doesn't have any sugar in it in the first place. You fucking philistine don't you know that this brown drink is the most fucking important thing on the planet so yeah try that one go go into the like the hippest cafe in the middle of new york or some really cool place and just loudly say it just say oh can i have a sugar-free espresso but yeah that that's that's a cringe-worthy event right because it's just those little glitches that says oh this person does not understand this person is not up to scratch this person cannot operate in this social scene right whereas if you go so outlandish that it, because I, I do that when I, you know, go to a, a foreign country where I'm clearly, fu- like I did it in Dubai. <laughs> I went, hello. I went to Dubai and I, and I walked, in, walked onto a train, right? So I walked onto a train. I'm just standing there looking around. I'm like, ah, oh, there's a lot of girls in this train. I started like checking out the ladies. And then this Indian woman came up to me and said, excuse me, sir, um, this is a ladies only carriage. And I was like, and I looked and there was a sign that said very clearly in English, women only. And I went, Oh yes, it does appear to be that I am the only man in, yes, yeah, I can see now. Now I realize that yes, I am the only man and there is five signs that all say I shouldn't be here because I've got a dick and then, and then, and then like it was another five minutes before the stop and just, I'm just like looking down like, sorry ladies, just, uh, yep, can't read my own language and right. So actually it didn't matter because it was just so clearly everyone knew that I didn't just you know, just go on there to go, fuck you, fuck this. I was just like so clearly outside of my area of knowledge that someone politely came over and said, by the way, you're not allowed to be here because you're a man. And then I scurried off at the next stop and got on the man carriage, right? And then I was like, sure, there's a lot of dudes in here. This is where I belong. Just checking the signs, men only. I'm in the right place, right? So in that sort of situation, it's not really cringeworthy because it's just like, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally foreign to this environment. It's those little things. And that's where I come back to my original point. The, the issue with awkwardness is not about avoiding the Phoebe Porter flute gate. It's not about avoiding the shit in your pants. It's about the way that some people or most people choose to navigate these tiny little choice points over and over and over and over again, dozens of times per day, away from having a risk to their pride and towards comfort and safety and invisibility, right? And that's where it becomes fucking insidious. Right, because the choice really is, you either get to learn to be in play with awkwardness, and when I say that, remember what I'm talking about here is tension, right? So the tension of, of two strangers meeting or of, or of there being an unknown social contract or of me going in and needing to navigate through a social scenario or some, some kind of deal or some kind of exchange, and that inherent within that will be the awkwardness of uncertainty. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what the other person's going to say. When I, when I go up to the cash register and I, and I just hand the person the thing that I want to buy and they just say, hi, how are you? And you say, good, thanks. And then uh, they say, you know, cash or card or, you know, Bitcoin or fucking do I scan your fingerprints like however people buy things in the future. There's very, very limited awkwardness, very limited tension because we already know the script. Like we literally know the exact words to say to each other just so that we have the bare minimum of human contact. So it's the person's like, hi, how are you? And I don't give a shit. And I'm like, I'm well, thanks, how are you? I don't give a shit. You may as well be a robot. I kind of am. 
so am I. In this moment, both of us are organic robots. So those situations, there's no awkwardness. And it's very easy to glitch with that and play with that when the person says, hi, how are you today? And you said, oh, just coming out of a major depression. And the person's, and then see what they do, right? Because suddenly there's, there's a totally new uh, set of rules at play. And then the person, the other person now has to experience the awkwardness of not knowing what to do in this scenario and needing to make it up as they go along. So much of awkwardness is about need, the need to improvise. And yet, and so, because that is more difficult than not doing that, right? It requires awareness. It requires you to think on your feet. It requires you to do something, right? And it, most importantly and, and frighteningly, it requires you to be exposed to the potential of somebody going, ah, not as cool as I thought, not as intelligent as they appear to be, not a sexual prospect going to die alone, clearly. Just on that though, the biggest mistake that we make in this area of social socialization is thinking that other people are walking around all day like some kind of caricature of a nasty drag queen, right? Someone who's just walking around going, oh my God, look at her shoes, wow. Apparently the diet's not working. This guy over here is a total piece of shit loser and is going to die in his own vomit. <laughs> As if every person is walking around aggressively analyzing with great, great clarity and ability and pulling you apart, comparing you to everyone else in the social strata, judging you and then punishing you. Right, so as if that's what everyone, else, everyone is doing all day. We're walking around just policing each other and that's all we do. Just so I'm walking by, I'm looking at that person like, oh, yeah, okay, that one can pass. This guy, no, nah, fucked it up. Don't like the way he's walking. Piece of shit. Get out of my life. You know, as if that's what we're doing to, sorry, by the way. <laughs> so that a bit loud. No, no, you're great. You're cool. You be you. I believe in you. The reality is people do not do that. And, and, and when guys come to my workshops on the first few days, that's their primary fear. Often more so than the fear of what is the girl going to think, they're worried about what are the witnesses going to think? What are the passers-by going to think? Right? If they notice, they're like, hang on a minute, there's a man over there trying to talk to a woman and you know, that this is outrageous and that we're going to judge him harshly, harshly as a rapist. And then some guys are like, yeah, but the Me Too thing. Like, look dudes, politics aside, I've been taking men out on the streets for 10 years. We have approached girls in fucking dozens of cities in all the major metropolises and from Melbourne to fucking Milan to what's somewhere in, Math somewhere in America that starts with an M that's a big city to New York or whatever. And literally it's been two or three times that I can remember when someone has come up and said, oh, are you, what are you guys doing? Are you talking to girls here? And usually it was like some old granny or something. It was like, oh, I don't like what you're doing here. It's, it's just not a big deal. So you don't need to stress out that everyone is going to come and, you know, call the cops on you. Because if you're, if you're just doing what I'm going up and saying, hey, and talking to a girl, you're not breaking any laws, I think, in most countries. Saudi Arabia, maybe check that. Iran, maybe check that. Just, just check in your particular vicinity. Okay, I don't want to be responsible for any mob, mob violence. But in most countries where I operate in, it's not illegal yet to do this. So don't fucking worry about it. Because the main concern is not actually a legal thing. It's that someone around you or multiple people around you will perceive you as an abuser, as creepy, right? As a loser. That's the main thing that men, I think, are mostly worried about is being perceived as a loser. A guy who, doesn't, who didn't achieve, who didn't win, who didn't get the thing that he wanted. Right? And, as, and as a result, people will choose comfort and safety and invisibility. And what is the consequence of that? Let's talk about that next. Unfortunately, most people choose comfort and invisibility over becoming a master of awkwardness, which is most, un most unfortunate because 
Learning to master awkwardness means that you're able to successfully navigate a bridge between the best experiences that you can have in life. There are very few profound and beautiful and joyful experiences that are had, in, especially in terms of other humans, without navigating the unknown. And the unknown is awkward, right? The unknown has tension inherently in it. So you need to be able to not, not just try, not avoid or learn how to be cool in awkward situations, but to actually eat the cringe and become a master of stepping through it. It's only really, really painful when you stop in the middle of it and collapse. Right? As long as you keep moving through it, and even when you do fall, and, fall and flat on your face and collapse in an awkward situation, it's fine. Like it becomes the story that in years to come, you look back and you go, you remember that time, you know, when Uncle Jerry died, right? And they had the open casket and then everyone went out of the room and I was just, I was feeling horny. So I was jerking off like over his corpse and everyone walked in and they were like, oh, there he is, caught him jerking off from the dead. I mean, you know, that's the kind of thing that brings a family together in later years when you guys, maybe that's not the best example. I used to have a sense of pride around my ability to avoid awkward such situations. One of the things that I hated the most was walking into a clothing shop and dealing with the cool chick. So when I was like 15, and, and my family was broke, so we didn't really have much money to spend on clothes. So if I go clothes shopping, I didn't, I had a very short, small budget, and I hated dealing with those like 19, 20 year old cool girls in the 90s who would come up and say, hey, can I help you? And I, I really didn't want to deal with that. So it was, it was my mission to get into a clothes shop and, and literally avoid them, like, I, like they were chasing me. And, I, and I'd see them coming out and then I'd like turn to the left and then like pretend to look at something and then like go to bend down and tie my shoelace and do all these like evasive maneuvers to, to kind of block the girl's advance. And if I was able to do that and go in and find the t-shirt and get to the front counter and then look down and just go, and they're like, can I help you with anything? No, just pay for it and get out. Then that was a win, right? The worst thing was when the girl would catch me and she'd say, can I help you? And I'd be like, oh. And I didn't know how to say no, thanks, I'm too poor for you to so to go away. And so then I'd end up in this situation, the, the cringe situation of having her trying to put things on me that I didn't want or couldn't afford. And like this kind of thing followed me when I was, when I was in my later teenage years, me and my introverted group of boy friends who liked listening to jazz, we would deliberately avoid going to raves. Now, I hate raves, I don't like I don't like raves, but raves was the thing at the time that people my age went to, and that's where you went if you wanted to meet girls and have a good time. And so we would d deliberately like not go out on Fridays and Saturday nights and stay in like Howard Moon and listen to jazz and smoke smoke cigars, thinking that we were vastly superior. And as a result, I I missed out on grunge and 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 rave music. I missed out on like the partying of my generation, actually, which is why I'm still doing it now to try and you know make up for lost time. But I bring this up because what I want to look at here is what is the consequence of choosing safety, of choosing, choosing to avoid awkwardness as much as possible, is literally stealing, robbing from you all of the wonderful experiences which are on the other side of awkward situations. Remembering that awkwardness is not this like evil infection that, that's, that, surround, that, is, that is in the environment and that we need to navigate through and avoid. That's the way most people look at it. They're constantly evading awkwardness by not making eye contact, by not asking questions. My brother and his wife have this thing they, say, they call the power of asking, right? So when we're, when we're, in, a, we're in a foreign country and we don't know where something is, and, they, and then one of them says, let's use the power of asking. And I'm like, guys, no, not the power of asking. It's so awkward. You're gonna have to go and talk to someone. And they just roll up and go, hi, I'm a dumb tourist. Please tell me where the thing is. It's a really amazing power. You should try it. That's what this whole video has been about, just to present to you the power of asking other people.
The point being is that most people spend a lot of their social navigation time in avoiding awkward situations, right? They would rather have other people just see them as pieces of meat walking by them than actual human beings they have to interact with. Now that's fine when you're walking through a big crowd in the city and you're just trying to get from A to B, but if you're trying to get a fucking date, right, or, you're, or if you're trying to break into a new social scene, or if you're trying to make yourself be seen in the, in the business world, or you are hoping to do anything other than exactly the same things that you've always done, then you must become a master of this bridge of awkwardness, right? It must be something that you relish, that you look at as, as, a, as a spiritual art form. Like it's, it's, it is an absolutely integral step. There is, there is no choice if you want to have new things, new people, new experiences, or you want to step up levels, then you're going to have to face it. Now, all of us have done that. We did it throughout our childhood when everything was awkward. We did it through teenage years when everything was fucking awkward and clumsy. Uh, we've done it. No one avoided it completely. But many people get through whatever growth spurts they have to, and then they stop. And they literally just, even if they're living in a city like this with a million plus people, they suddenly just cut everything down to, I only hang out with these people, I only go to these places. I don't even go into a new coffee shop or a new... I, I, just because I'm a bit concerned what would happen if I don't know how to order the, the sugar-free espresso. If saving face is a priority to you, you're fucking life up. Seriously, it is, it is the wrong way to do things. And for those cultures where that is a thing that like everyone is concerned about, I'd say you've got it wrong. Right? And, and everyone is helping each other there to like maintain their pride of like, oh yes, I am in control. I've got things right. That just means you only get to, like, when do you grow then? It means you have to grow in private, right? The idea, like, okay, I'm gonna go and practice. If I wanna try anything new, I'm gonna go and practice it in private to the point where I'm a master at it and only then present it to the world. Now, that may be fine for skiing. I guess you could do that. You could go and ski by yourself and then finally reveal yourself as a, maybe I'll do that. That's fine for a, a a solo pursuit but for a social pursuit that's impossible and that's the mistake that a whole generation of men made with with learning seduction because there was a whole lot of bullshit on the internet which was like study these lines learn these tricks and then and then reveal yourself to the world fully fledged like like you're coming out of some like dork pupae and then you become this like sexy butterfly that all the chicks like instantly anyone see that move any ladies like that one it doesn't work Right? It, it's not something you can't study social skills in private and then finally come out as a fully formed human being. They are done in real time with real people. And that's, that's the primary you know, message of this channel is about, okay, how are we improving our social and seductive skills? It happens out in the field. And so trying to do it by preparing to say the right thing or preparing to be like totally cool and chill and relax and you know, I've got the vibe going on, by trying to do that, like, like, like trying to train yourself to not experience awkward situations, you're doing it wrong on, on the most base inherent level. Your entire philosophical framework is flawed, right? The, the, the way to look at it is like, I'm gonna step through a wonderful psychedelic world of awkwardness, where at every step I step, I step on a landmine of awkwardness that just blows farts. <laughs> it's just like it's just whoopee cushions everywhere. I'm just farting along with every step. Oh, hello, madam. Which is why the Brit you know the British are so like uptight when they they're the ones who just make the best fart jokes because every everyone is trying to do everything so British and they always fail. If you watch Faulty Towers, is like the most brilliant cringe show I think that was ever made. Maybe The Office is also good, and that's an interesting thing I 
I saw somewhere, the difference between British and American humor is that in a British TV show, at the end, like there's the awkwardness of like, oh, I didn't mean to, you just caught me, I didn't mean, I wasn't really getting fucked in the ass by an elephant. It was just, it, it was, I was something. And at the end, everyone goes, oh, I see. And then everyone sits on the couch and loves each other. But in the British comedy, it ends with the awkward, like the thing where it just, it collapses, where everything is a disaster. And that's where the joke hits, where it's just like, because the inherent experience of life is that you are not going to get it right. That people are going to see through this facade. You are not going to, because you're not perfect. All the things that you're trying to hold hold up and all of this elegance and whatever is just going to, there'll be a slip at some point and uh, people will say, ah, I see, he's not perfect after all. And you'll you'll have to live with that. Right? That's I think that's why British comedy is far superior because it hits on that nerve of like, oh yes, and at the end, just when the person thought they had it all together, then they slipped and farted. <laughs> anyway, the point is, go up to 10 chicks and fart. No, you don't have to fart. But you do need to experience this life of navigating within awkwardness. This is why my, my concept of, of, well, awareness primarily and pressure and release is, is so relevant here. If I'm unaware, Right, I'll feel, I'll feel tension, and as I step towards the tension, it increases as a physical and emotional sensation, and I don't like it because I've placed a judgment upon it, and so I step away, right? So that's why my base principle of the five principles is awareness. I have to be self-aware enough to be able to see what's going on internally, and I need to have enough calibration awareness to be able to see what's happening externally. What is the effect if I come too close to somebody and then I notice that they reel back? If I'm unaware, well then I am going to come across as, and rightfully so, someone who doesn't get that the distances in this culture between a man and a woman who don't know each other is not this, it's more like this, right? And if I do that consistently, I lean into every girl that I'm talking to, I'll fuck up my dating life forever. So. There are rules, like, I mean, it's not that they'll go to jail for that, it's just that girls will be like, eh, I don't want to talk to that guy because he's in my face. Okay, so it's not that we can be so socially free that we get to, we get to dictate the social rules that are happening all around us. Okay, we need to interface with the realities of the way people perceive life and the, and the boundaries that they have, of course. But so much of what we are letting dictate our decisions is fantasy, especially the, the idea that everyone is standing here around watching me analyzing me, judging me, and passing, uh, passing a punishment on to me. That's not true. Like, yeah, sure, people check each other out and go, that's a shitty, I don't like those shoes, or that guy's a bit of a dork, and then they move on. Yeah, people will judge you. You've, you've been judged a hundred times today, briefly, probably, but not in a way where people are sitting, you know, shaming you in some kind of court of public opinion. And even if you go up to the girl and you stumble and you fumble and you fuck up, and she perceives you and decides, okay, that guy's a dork, or that guy's a loser, or there's no way I'd go on a date with that guy, right? This is a beautiful moment. Yes, there are, there are I don't know, thousands of women in the world who think I'm a creepy, weird, dorky loser. And they're not thinking about me now, they forgot me years ago, probably, but the ones that I went up to and I, mis, I miscalibrated and I did something a bit too fast, or I reached my hand too close to her, or I said something dumb, or I tried to be cool and then it was clear that I wasn't, you know, all of these things, and then the girl write, writes me off as a, as, a, as a social or sexual, as a sexual prospect. Yes, that is the reality of becoming a man who is good with women, is that you have to be bad with a lot of women to be good with women in general. You have to be shit in discrete individual situations many, many, many times, so that overall you'll improve these skills. As I said before, you, this is not a skill you can learn in private. 
you can prepare in some ways. You guys are doing this right now. You're probably not sitting with a whole bunch of girls watching this video. Is anyone? Are there any girls watching this at all? I don't know. Maybe there's two. Uh, you're probably alone watching this, preparing, thinking, and there's a lot of internal work that can be done alone, you know, with, through meditation, through body work, through movement. But when it comes down to it, the rubber hits the road when you go and speak to somebody that you don't know, or you, or you ask a girl on a date, you, or you get on a date and then you uh, need to take that to somewhere physical, and all of the various stages that you must go through. Awkwardness is the bridge between each of the jumps, right? So if I haven't kissed a girl, there is going to be some tension in between the haven't kissed her to kiss her, right? And the worst thing a man can do is, and I used to do this all the time, is like, I want to kiss the girl. I feel like maybe there's a chance, there's a good vibe going on. She's pretty close to me on the couch. I think I can kiss her. So what am I going to do? I'm going to talk about kissing. And, and well, how do guys do that? They just say some dumb line to try and see like, oh, I was just thinking maybe I'll kiss you soon or, or would it be too much to ask if I was to kiss you or like anything where I mention kissing, what that does is it dissolves the tension, the delicious sexual tension that's building and verbalizes it and then just unravels the whole thing. And sometimes the girl will go, okay, kiss me because I wanted him to kiss. But other times she's like, oh no, not now that you've talked about it, right? You don't talk about uh, what you're going to do with the girl. You, you make a move and then you recalibrate based on what her response is. If I lean in she's like, whoa, then I just go, oh, okay. And then I change the subject. I don't, also I don't really talk about kissing. Then I'm like, what? I was trying to kiss you. I've been on two dates with you. This is ridiculous. I'm a really nice guy. And I, and I bought you two dinners and, and three cocktails. And this, the least that you could give me is a kiss. Don't do that. Bitter nice guy demanding a kiss is a very, very unattractive thing. So the best way to do it is to, is to acknowledge, okay, there's a, there is the awkwardness of the expectation, the unknown of whether this is going to work. But that also has all the power in it. Right, that's where all the inherent like, follow-through force, that's, that's where, where the momentum exists. It's that pressure that then pushes us to go in a direction that leads to an escalation, right? that leads to the physical contact, that leads to us going to bed together, that leads to an emotional rise in the stakes in a relationship, for example. You must fall in love with the cringe. Right? You must understand that every time you go out of your way to avoid it, in, in all these little micro choice points, these small and large ways throughout your day, right? Instead of looking the person in the eye or standing tall or asking a personal question of the person in the shop or, you know, smiling at the girl, right? Or going and saying fucking hi or getting in, you know, getting into a conversation or you, or you know somebody through whatever scenario and you think there might be a vibe and, and, you, and you spend months and months trying to weirdly engineer situations where you're in the same fucking room together instead of just going and saying, hey, I know this is a little bit awkward, which you, which you can call out. You can call out awkwardness because awkwardness is often two people pretending that things are not awkward. And if you call it out and say, hey, I know this is a little bit awkward, but do you want to get a coffee sometime? Or I don't want to make things awkward at, at yoga class, but I'd love to go and get a, you know, a shot of heroin with you. I mean, a green tea with you sometime. And then if she's like, uh, you say, okay, cool, that's fine. You, you can release the pressure. However, that technique doesn't work if I do this. Hey, uh, let's say I'm talking to a girl on the street and it's, and it's cringing. And I go, yeah, look, uh, this is like totally awkward right now. And she's like, oh yeah, because there's a momentary release in awkwardness. And she's like, oh, he gets it. Right, and if you say that, yeah, this is a little bit awkward right now. And she's like, oh yeah. And then I wait and I do nothing. I triple the awkwardness at least, right? Because it's like I called it out it released it for a moment and then I didn't do anything about it. And now, now the pressure then rebuilds because there is no direction for it to go. 
So if you're going to call out awkwardness, this is a, like a technical point, then you need to redirect it. Hey, uh, this is uh, this is a little bit awkward. Um, do you want to just tell me like about your first pet that you had? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't really doesn't matter which direction because that's not maybe the best question to ask in that scenario. But it goes, okay, this is awkward. Whatever we were trying to do before wasn't working, so let's redirect the flow. And then she's like, oh, okay, well, my first pet was called Coco and it was a silky retriever and now we're moving somewhere and now that stuck awkward energy is now funneled into something else. You must become a master of this. Well, no, you just need to become competent at it. You must become in love with the cringe. It is the bridge between escalation. It is the bridge between change, between growth, and definitely between strangers meeting, connecting, and breeding. Right, seductions don't happen by things being flatlined, by people just being nice and pleasant and being predictable all the time. Great seducers have the ability to apply pressure on people and, to, and very importantly, to be able to sit within pressure. One of the reasons why I'm good at this is I'm just okay sitting in super awkward situations. Or sitting in them and then starting to move through them, navigate through them. I can go up to somebody and, and, and it kind of fall apart and it be a bit of a train wreck and then I can live with that, I can be cool with that I can stay inside that space and go, all right, here, we're in a train wreck space. Let's move this somewhere else. Anyway, what's your favorite color? Because that, that's the ability that allows me to get through the inevitable waves of awkwardness and comfort and awkwardness and comfort that are going to happen in any given seduction. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles, Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.